Hi, Shannon Waller here with Dan Sullivan, and welcome to the Inside Strategic Coach podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that I think will be very intriguing and interesting to everyone. And the question we're going to discuss is, can money buy happiness? And Dan, you read an interesting article in The Telegraph recently that had something to say about this. So let's jump in. The Telegraph is one of the main London papers. And London is a great newspaper city. So when I go to London, I'll read five or six different newspapers every day just to get a feel for how things are being talked about and thought about in the UK. The article was an interesting scientific experiment, and I think it's the beginning of something. I don't think that there was enough research done to actually make conclusive statements here. But it was really leading to the concept that there's a particular use of money that makes people happy than almost any other use of money. And the thing was that they discovered that people who use money to buy back their time found that a very happy experience. And that is that you're doing something that you either don't like doing or it's not a stimulating activity, or it's keeping you from much more stimulating and rewarding activity, and you use your money to hire someone else to do that activity so that you're freed up, and that every time you do this, where you use your money to free yourself up to do something that you like better, that you enjoy more, that's more creative, that that's actually happiness. And I said, well, that's really true. I mean, I was looking at my own experience, But I've also personally coached more than 6,000 entrepreneurs, and I can say for a fact that every time one of my entrepreneurs used money to free up their time for something that they were much more interested in or was much more enjoyable, that they felt happy with that use of their money, and in a very simple way, that money bought them happiness. Everyone's wanting to know the answer to that question for a very long time, so it's nice to have one. And that's in comparison to things. Things buy a temporary high or like, yes, I've got that car or that jewelry or whatever people want, but then it kind of fades. And one of the things I found interesting in the article was it didn't matter how much money people had, like people with a lot of wealth, if they did not use it to buy Mm -hmm. back their time, were actually not particularly happy individuals, which... You know, we've read stories and heard about those people. So buying back your time is really the path to follow. Peter Diamandis, in the whole book of Abundance and then the program called Abundance 360, he points out the fact that we're fast approaching probably within the next hundred years where it's so easy to get a hold of anything that you want at a very low cost that it's almost like free. With the exception of healthcare and the exception of education, almost everything else in the general economy has gotten cheaper. And what I mean by that is if you use the value of an hour of your time, what you would get paid for an hour of your time, and you use that as the currency, that what you could buy today is a lot cheaper than what an hour of your time could buy 25 years ago. A house, a car, all the electronics, clothing, food, light, light, everything is getting tremendously cheaper. And I think it's just a general function that the efficiencies that are being built into massive cooperation in the marketplace is just making it easier, faster, cheaper to provide things. And all you have to do is watch what Amazon does to any sector of the economy that they go into. The price 
and the convenience and the availability all means that it's less costly to buy something. So things, I think, after a while don't have the same impact on us emotionally, certainly from a happiness standpoint, that they would have when things were very scarce. Now everything is just abundant. (laughs) Abundant, yeah. And it's one of the reasons why the people who say, you know, there should be an uprising because of the great inequality, because of people who are really wealthy and people who are really poor, and it never happens. And the reason why it doesn't happen is in North America, certainly in the United States and Canada, you take the poorest person and they've got a colored television, they've got an air conditioner, they've got washer and dryer, They've probably got a car. I mean, this stuff could be all rented, but they have it. Mm-hmm. When they take a jet flight, they don't get there any slower than somebody else taking a jet flight. You know, right. a seat may be more cramped. You don't have as much leg room and everything else. But you know, I'm always struck by the people who I'll go to a, a destination, which is you know, sort of a luxury resort. And I'll see people coming off the plane, and I said, you know, 50 years ago, this wouldn't have been available to them, but air Mm -hmm. flight is so cheap these days, Mm -hmm. and hotels are available at every price point. So my feeling is that the whole material aspect that used to be seen as a source of happiness, I don't think that is anymore, but I think the freedom of using our time the way we want to use time has now become the number one source of happiness generally for people is that freedom of time, which is becoming the real, if you want, the most desirable thing that you would use for using your money. Mm-hmm. And entrepreneurs have a particular freedom to use their money. They've got assets. They can buy people's time to free themselves up, but some entrepreneurs... Oh, don't. no, no. I mean, where I see entrepreneurial unhappiness is that they did not understand that the best use of their money is to buy back their time. Mm. Okay, so what are some of the specific ways that you see people get stuck and think where they can't give this particular activity or task to somebody else? They think they have to do it. Well, I'm going to give a real good example because I'm a master at this, is that I do more of the things that I like and I stop doing the things that I don't like. (laughs) That's pretty simple. It can't be any more complicated than that. My response to my daily life as an entrepreneur is purely an emotional one before it's an intellectual one. That's interesting. I would say a lot of entrepreneurs that I know don't give themselves that freedom, that permission to just base it on an emotional response of what they want or or like or don't like doing. Yeah, I give myself 100% emotional freedom to say exactly what I like and exactly what I don't like. Interesting. And I don't second-guess myself. Right. No, you really don't. Shouldn't you be setting an example? But, you know, I mean, I'll get questions like this. Shouldn't you be setting an example of doing hard, difficult things that you don't like doing? And I said, well, an example for who? Why would that be a good example? The example I would like to give to everybody is that you should use your emotional alertness and decisiveness to actually be crystal clear with everything that you do in your business life, in your personal life, whether you like doing that activity or you don't like doing that activity. And say there's a line here, on this side, don't like, on this side, like, and move all your time from don't like to like. And in our world, you have to buy that time. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, because some of the don't like activity is very crucial activity for the success of your company. Okay, well, I'm caught here. I don't like doing this activity, but the activity is very crucial. Anything related to cash flow is a really good example. Everything related to having a powerful brand that will remain powerful and true over many years. Most of the activity I don't really like doing. So I said, okay, so here's my conundrum. I don't like doing that activity, but it has to be done. And I say, oh, well, there is a solution to that. I'm going to create surplus money, and I'm going to use the surplus money to actually pay other people who actually love that activity. So that's an important distinction, and we touched on this a little bit when we had our podcast on uniqueness, is that there are other people out there who love to do what we don't. More than you can count. (laughs) And we now have access to them around the planet, which is lovely. So there's almost no reason anymore to not free yourself up to do what you find, what we could say, fascinating and motivating, because there's someone else out there who is totally fascinated and motivated by the activity that you're not. Yeah, I mean, here's an interesting, doesn't seem like an overwhelming insight, but when I was born in 1944, the population of the planet was about 2.2 billion And here I am, 73 years later, and the population of the planet is pushing 7.5 billion, 7.5. So the whole population has went from 2.2 to 4.4. It's almost like a doubling. Mm -hmm. Probably in another 20 or 30 years, it will have doubled twice. Mm -hmm. So one of the real problems on the planet has always been underpopulation. And what I mean by that is that because there were so few people to get crucial work done that you were going to have to do a fair amount of work that you didn't like doing. But not anymore. There's many, many people, and they could be half a world away, and you can contact them electronically. The work can be done out of sight. So my feeling is we're going through this profound change where We had a scarcity issue that was really always a fundamental problem of not having enough people to do the work in such a way that you could be freed up just to work on what you love doing. But we passed that sometime in the last, in my lifetime, we've passed that. And I started off with a firm belief that whatever it took, I was going to get to the point where I just got to do what I like to do all the time. It was going to make money, and it was going to make other people happy, and that was my game plan right from the beginning. It took me a long time, I must say. I put in a a lot of years, but if I was born today with that insight, I would do it much more quickly. It strikes me that there are two important parts of this. One is you have to have the mindset Mm -hmm. of being completely confident and fine with just doing what you find fascinating and motivating, to use our term. And then the other one is you have to be resourceful. Yeah. Because funds really aren't going to stop you. People are available pretty inexpensively, so that's not a barrier to entry. But you have to be looking. You have to be paying attention to yourself and then to what the capabilities are of other people. And then this can come together and you can buy back your time. Yeah, and it's very interesting because I'm asked a lot, you know, because I've been out in the marketplace for a long time now by entrepreneurial standards. And people say, what are you proudest of about the strategic coach, what you and Babs and the whole team have created? And I said, well, the answer is in your question. And I said that the thing that I'm proudest of, you know, is that we've created tremendously good jobs. 
inside Strategic Coach. You know, I'm really proud of the jobs that we've created in Strategic Coach. Well, I've never heard anybody say that you're proud of the jobs. And I said, well, think of this, is that if you're working at Strategic Coach, by definition, the goal for every job, one is that we're going to get the right person into that job who loves the activity and is motivated to grow and expand the activity. And the other thing is that all those jobs where people are loving what they're doing, they're all connected to each other, so there's enormous teamwork. And I said, that gives me an enormous amount of pleasure. Babs and I, over a long period of time, we've made the amount of money necessary to create those marvelous jobs. And we've been enormously freed up because of the combined power of this network of jobs where everybody loves doing what they love. There's outgrowing, some of them outgrow their jobs, and then they create a job that's even more powerful as we go. But, you know, when you think about how we've spent 40 years and how we've spent millions and millions and millions of dollars, I said, gosh, we've bought a lot of happiness with that money. (laughs) Right. And what better aim? Yeah. And they said, well, where are you getting to? I said, we're not getting anywhere. It's in the getting. The happiness is in the activity. It's, mm-hmm. We don't have a destination for a coach. Besides, I want tomorrow to be a little bit happier than today. <laughs> so what would your coaching be for an entrepreneur who has the funds but not necessarily seen, has been more focused on maybe the things rather than their time? What questions do they need to ask themselves? What actions do they need to take? in order to start to buy back their time? I mean, the most basic question is, is your money buying you any happiness? I have to tell you, I've met many, many entrepreneurs that their money is buying them complexity, it's buying them complication, it's buying them conflict, and it's buying them confusion. And I said, you know, none of those are a good use of money. You know, if you're gonna have money, buy simplicity, buy clarity, buy confidence, and by collaboration, those are really good things to spend your money on. And you're sharing your money that way because you're creating a happy situation that other people can be a part of. And making things happy for other people is a real source of happiness. Mm-hmm. That's true. Also, if you think about your company, being surrounded by people who love to do what they love doing and who bring heart and creativity and passion as well as skill and talent to it is a very creative, we call it a bubbling company. It's, you know, there's just lots of really interesting, neat, new, cool stuff Mm -hmm. happening all the time. What better environment to create? It's stimulating for them, but also for you. Yeah. I remember a longtime team member who's almost the same number. She'll never catch up with you, but she's approaching 25 years. And I remember she came in. I don't have an office. I have a table in a big cafe in the middle of our company, and she came up and she says, oh, thank God, it's Monday. (laughs) And I chatted with her, and she had just had a kind of hectic weekend at home. And she said, I come in here, and everything is clear. You know, the roles are defined. The teamwork structures are fine, and it's just all enjoyable work. And I said, oh, that was kind of one of the nicest compliments I've ever received about the company. But... You know, I'm not using the company to get somewhere else in my life. I'm in the company, and I just try to use our money in such a way that we increase the happiness level in the company all the time. 
which actually has an impact on why people join Strategic Coach, mm -hmm. why people are interested in being part of our program, because they sense that there's a happy environment here. And they would like to know how they can create a happy environment. So I think that one of the most powerful aspects of the Strategic Coach brand is actually the happiness of the team members that work at Strategic Coach. I think that's true. We get comments a lot about, oh, you guys are all so happy. Are you like this every day? And we're like, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're just showing what's true. We're not faking it. Mm -hmm. It's not an act at all. So we just bring a lot of joy, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of love. Like we, I love hugging our clients if they don't mind. There's just a lot of warmth that comes along with that, which is quite a lovely environment to be in. People can just relax their guard a little bit. And I think it's really inspiring to start to create a company. One of the comments that we had that you've said before is that tightly scheduled entrepreneurs cannot transform themselves. Mm -hmm. So buying back your time is actually a really important thing to do if you want to be open to new opportunities, if you want to be open to that magic happening that can happen with our company sometimes. And if you want to transform your current situation, you can't do it if you're already completely booked all the time. Yeah. Just to come back to the opening thought that got this podcast going was that right from the beginning in my partnership with Bab Smith, she said, you're doing way too many things that you're not good at you're doing way too many things that you don't like doing, and the two usually coincide. <laughs> and she said, what my role is going to be is to create a team around you where your time gets completely bought back so that you can focus on taking the ideas out into the marketplace, and we can attract more and more clients, the right kind of clients, to the environment, the coaching environment we're creating here. So right from day one, when it was just the two of us, the commitment was that we're going to use a significant portion of the money that we make as profits to actually buy back the time, first of all, of myself and then Babs, and then we keep doing that. So And you free up the people who free and you up. And we free up the people who free me up. You mm -hmm. know, we use the money to free that up. And there is no end to this. There is no end. You continually learn new things about this magic activity of buying back your time. Mm -hmm. Well, Dan, I love this. It means that people aren't just playing the money game. They're playing the money game to buy freedom of time and which leads to their happiness. So mm -hmm. I, I love that there's such a phenomenal purpose for money that does, in fact, bring happiness. That's a very cool concept and idea to talk about. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please let us know at questionsastrategiccoach.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes if you want more of this great information. Thank you, Dan. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Shannon.